So I'm going to be reading from Genesis 18 and then also a few verses from Genesis 21. So Genesis 18 verses starting at verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sayers of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. They being, there's some visitors that have come. There's the tent, there, there in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah, Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. And the first few verses of Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he'd said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight years old, Abraham circumcised him, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Good morning. Just as you get uh, back to your Bible, if you've got one, please have it on your lap. Can I ask you a question? Then it's a question I want an answer from, if you want to share, that is. Here's the question. Please shout out, in a non-English way, who's your favourite comedian? Michael McIntyre. Michael McIntyre is one. Bill Bailey, Bill Bailey Peter Kay. Anyone else? Cooper. Tommy Cooper. I could do an impression, but I won't. I'll embarrass myself. Anyone else? Dudley Moore, anyone? Peter Ustinov, he can play the piano. Les Dawson, no one mentioned him. Maybe that's a good thing. Now, um, this passage is all about laughter. The Bible is not slow to talk about laughter and its importance. It's been a challenging few years. And laughter is one of the things that we have used and realised its importance as we've struggled with all the difficulties that we've faced during the pandemic. Can you live without laughter? Laughter is the best medicine, says an old proverb. The Bible is not slow to speak about laughter. Look at chapter 18 with me of the book of Genesis, down in verse 6. Rather, 21, excuse me. God has brought me laughter. God has brought me laughter. It's this reality that in the story of Abraham and Sarah, there's been lots of tears. There's been lots of difficulty. There's been lots of unique words given by God to Abraham and Sarah, this aging couple. But in chapter 21, verse 6, at the end of uh, the story we're going to look at today, Sarah is laughing. 
So he laughs in two ways. One is a laughter of cynicism. One is a laughter of unbelief and doubt. The other one is a laughter of joy and wonder and delight. And you've got to ask the question, how did the laughter change? And that's what we're going to look at. How does the laughter change? Because the Bible is serious about laughter. If that's not an oxymoron, it's serious about laughter. This is where I want us to look at. Uh, first of all, God comes to Sarah. It's in chapter 18. God comes to Sarah. Now, there are these three visitors that come along. It's, it's the Lord, it's God and two angels. We, that's revealed not at the start of chapter 18, but towards the end, verse 10 and following. But uh, I want you to remember that in Genesis chapter 12, where we started this journey about a month ago, God came to Abraham and said, I want you to go out to leave everything that's familiar and I'm going to tell you where we're going later on. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you into a nation. I'm going to protect you and bless you. And I'm going to give you the most wonderful land. You just need to trust me. But that was 25 years ago. It wasn't a month ago when we started the series. 25 years ago from this point of the story, God came and spoke to this already old couple. They would have been in senior moments at that point, but now they're really, really old, and it looks like God will not come true on his promise. They've been through quite an adventure. They've taken things into their own hands because they have thought that God can't be trusted. Sarah's now 90. She's in her 90s. Abraham is knocking on the door of 100. He's a century not out. And in chapter 18, verse 1 and 2, just to get the context here, three strangers come to the tent of Abraham, three travellers, uh, three wanderers. And the first thing Abraham does as a good kind of Bedouin is to say, I've got to raid the larder. So he sends out uh, the right people and he says, go and get the fattened calf. Let, let's make a great supper for them. Let's get some food on the stove. We must uh, clean their tired feet. We must get a seat under their backside because they're so tired. And hospitality is such a big, big deal in the ancient Near East. So Sarah's rushing around, Abram's rushing around, the servants are busy because they've got to put uh, some food on the table before these three visitors. And look, uh, as they're preparing this food outside of the tent, where is Sarah, comes the question. Verse 10, the Lord reveals himself and says, I'm going to return next year and Sarah will bear a son. So God is coming to meet again with Abraham, but predominantly, as we're going to see, it's not really the focus of this story is on Abraham, it's on Sarah. It's on Sarah, verse 9. Where's your wife Sarah? She's right here listening, verse 10. The Lord said, I'm going to come back next year. So the food is being sorted out outside the tent, and Sarah's there just inside the flap of the tent, listening in as to say, what's the conversation that's happening between my Lord my husband, Abraham, and these three strangers, what are they talking about? Where's Sarah, says one of the messengers, says the Lord. I've come for her. I've come to speak into her situation because I know her condition. Now, what's the point of this? Because Sarah knows, knows something about who God is. They've been journeying together for 25 years, Abraham and Sarah. Remember, Abraham was saved from his moon-worshipping background, but God's been faithful to them. God's trusted them and taught them. They've made many mistakes, but God is growing them in their faith. Sarah knows all about the promise. It was there in Genesis chapter 12, but a lot of water has gone under the bridge and a lot of years has added grey hairs to her head. So why does God need to show himself and come to Sarah? 
Because I think the point is this, it's not good enough to know God through someone else. All of us have to know and believe in the God in whom the Bible teaches. We thought before about we can't uh, give our faith to our children. Everyone needs to make their own decision to follow Jesus or to not follow Jesus. Sarah believes in God. But does she really believe in God and trust him? Everything she knows about God has really come through Abraham. God has appeared to Abraham so far and not to Sarah, not until now. And the big Bible principle is this. We all need to have our own encounter, our own personal encounter with the God of the Bible. You need to know not just about him, you need to know him. You need to experience him. You need to enjoy him. He needs to come to you. That's the first quick thing. We need to have a personal encounter with the living God. Not just know about him, we need to know him. That's the first thing we see. That's why God comes to Sarah. But how? Second point, how does God come to Sarah? That's important. This is a situation where three visitors come to this Bedouin family. Quite a big organisational structure. We've thought about that before. 200-ish fighting men in the great family of Abraham. So it's not just a two up, two down kind of tent. This is a big family structure. But God has come to Abraham. Dave looked at it so helpfully a few weeks back in Genesis chapter 15. And just compare in your mind, I'll remind you, but Genesis 15, when God comes in a unique way to Abraham at night with a smoking fire pot in his glory and dread, there was bloodied animal halves that he made a walkway and he passed between the animal pieces. There was some gore there, but there was might and majesty and glory. And now when God comes to Sarah, it's a very different way. Three ordinary people who want to get the weight off their feet, or at least they look like ordinary people. In Genesis 15, God comes in the darkness. In Genesis 18, God comes and it's the noonday sun. Verse 3, verse 1 rather, the heat of the day, God comes. Verse 15, or chapter 15, God comes and it's uh, through this glorious, unique picture of a, a fireway. A fire smoking pot with the glory of God in the localized place, and these animals to say, If I break my prominence, my covenant promise to you, may I be like one of the animals? God says, taking the curse upon himself. But now, when God comes in Genesis 18, he's completely accessible. He's coming so gently to Sarah, he's coming in a different way. Genesis 15, even before God shows up, there's dread and there's darkness when we come to. Genesis 18, there's tenderness as God comes in a very unique way to Abraham and a unique way to Sarah. Look at verse 12, the first time Sarah laughs of Genesis chapter 18. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? This term worn out means good for nothing. Good for nothing. Useless. It's a very negative word that she says about herself. Talk about self-image, the life of Sarah. I'm this old. I'm good for nothing. But then there's this word pleasure. Now, after many years, as a man who's seen four children pop out without any pain or tears, yeah, right, I thought this was about a, a sense of, am I really going to have this joy, this pleasure again of having a baby? If you think this is about that, you're a man. Because it's not about that. This is about sexual pleasure. It's about sexual pleasure in the original language. And Sarah's saying, my husband's not touched me for decades. 
We've got loads of grey hairs. I'm good for nothing on the inside. I'm barren of room. My husband doesn't come near me. We've not had sex for a long, long time. And now you're saying that I'm going to have the joy, the sexual delight and pleasure of seeing a baby from my womb. It ain't going to happen, God. There's no way this is going to happen. And what does God say? Does he get his nuclear missile out and say, how dare you, you speck of dust, speak to me? He doesn't say anything like that at all. He speaks very tenderly and gently to Sarah in her barrenness and fear and loneliness, cultural uh, abandonment that she would have, not having a child from her for herself, no social security to look after her. She's incredibly vulnerable and God comes to her so gently and wonderfully tenderly and says, you are looking at yourself all wrong. I love you and I value you. You're not worthless to me. I will work through you and through you and through your aging husband, I will bless the world through you. All the commentators who read the Bible and who study it notice that when Sarah describes herself, there's a lot of negativity. When God recounts what she says about herself, he comes all that negativity out and speaks tenderly and kindly. I didn't laugh. She lies. Oh, yes, you did, verse 15. Why would God be so different <laughs> in his appearance to Abraham in the glory and might and majesty? And yet in chapter 18, there's also glory, might and majesty, but in a wonderful tenderness to Sarah. We've said everybody needs to have a personal encounter with the living God as God comes to us by his grace. But point two, God doesn't work in a cookie-cutter way. There's no template about how God comes to meet his people. Sometimes it's very dramatic. Sometimes it's sudden and quick. It's always unique. Sometimes it's a process where God works gradually over a long, long time, deliberately, supernaturally. But whether we are overwhelmed with the love of God, first of all, before we sense our flawedness, or whether we're overwhelmed with our flawedness and then we come overwhelmed with the love of God, God comes to each one of us uniquely and deliberately and carefully. Be very, very slow to say to anybody, you're not a Christian unless this, whatever this is, happens. Be very slow to say that. We need a personal experience of the living God, which is about the person of his son, Jesus Christ. For that to happen, the Holy Spirit always is involved <coughs> in our lives, drawing us, giving us fresh affections for him. I didn't laugh, verse 15, oh yes you did, but you did. God comes very tenderly because he's the wonderful counsellor. He comes tenderly to Sarah, oh but you did laugh. So don't be afraid, afraid to tell God of your deepest longings and fears. Don't think you need to put a facade on. Open up your heart to him. Tell God your doubts and your struggles and your fears. Don't be afraid. He's not going to blow you up. He comes as a wonderful counsellor. Sarah, you didn't, yes, you did love. He's a wonderful counsellor. That's uh, God coming to Sarah and how he came. He came tenderly and graciously. But now we're going to get to the real heart of the passage, verse 13 and verse 14. Why did God come to Sarah? He came, how he came, why did he come? Verse 13 and 14, God comes to transform her laughter. In verse 13 and 14, you've got a bit of a diagnostic question 
in an answer, you could say. Verse 13 of chapter 18, God says, why did Sarah laugh like that? Why is her laughter so bitter? Why is it so cynical? Why is it so full of doubt and despondency? Is anything too hard for the Lord? This famous sentence. Another way of saying that, the word uh, hard is wonder. Literally, it could, could read, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? You go to the Psalms, you see this word repeatedly. Tell of his wonders, tell of his majesty, tell of his greatness. Be in awe at the wonders of God. Verse 14 says, is anything too wonderful for me? It's a diagnostic question, the cynical spirit in Sarah's heart. She's empty of wonder and no one can be empty of wonder. I mean, what is wonder? We wonder, uh, we're grateful to have so many of you at our house last night. Wonder is having 50, 60 people in your back garden saying, ooh, ah, as thousands of pounds of fireworks are exploding in the night sky. That's wonder. Or wonder is enjoying a, a pretzel covered with chocolate and saying, this tastes great, if you like that sort of thing. Wonder is looking at a frog um, under a microscope and not putting the sun upon it. As a child looks at it, wonder is getting uh, buried neck deep in the sand. Wonder is looking at a sunrise or a sunset. That's what wonder is. But the trouble is, as much as the child wonders and says, ooh, ah, as adults, wonder kind of leaks out of us. You need something bigger and bigger to captivate your wonder, like the Grand Canyon. You need to go and hear the might of Niagara Falls. You need to go to the Peak District and get some fresh air in your lungs. You need to go to the British Riviera, like Bournemouth, and get sand between your toes. You need to go up to some downs and see a frosty morning because wonder leaks out of our hearts. But wonder is like oxygen. You need wonder and joy to live. That's why we want to uh, go to the cinema when we can. Afford it. Save up or go with O2 rewards. And we go and see a big film and we see a big story and we hear a big soundtrack. We want something big to shake us from our ordinary lives. Whether it's A Secret Life of Pets, whether it be James Bond, whether it be Gladiator of Old. We want something big with a big heroine or a big hero. We want something, we want something to help us to wonder at life. The Bible says every story that we enjoy every theatre pro or show we go to is a reflection of the greatest story ever told, the true story that's found in the Bible and in the Bible alone. It's an ultimate story, permeated with wonder and joy, because it's historically true. And if you believe the story of the Bible, then wonder won't be on the outside of your heart and life. It won't be something that you have to pay 15 quid to enjoy for a couple of hours. Wonder can take hold of every fibre of your heart. And it's a wonder that lasts. And it's a wonder that we enjoy every Christmas and Easter, but not just then, we can enjoy it every day. Well, what's the story? It's the story that comes into Sarah's heart that transforms a cynical heart of laughter to a heart that's full of wonder. Look at chapter 21, verse 6. God has brought me laughter. It's a laughter I've never had before. I was so despondent and down and dejected, but now, now something has happened and wonder has grabbed my spirit. It's not bitter and cynical anymore. It's, it's hopeful and hope-filled because of chapter 21, verse 1. Where did the wonder come from? says in chapter 21, verse 1, God was gracious. 
God was gracious to Sarah and to Abraham. This impossible promise that came in chapter 12, absolutely impossible in human uh, characteristics and standards, but not by God. Nothing is too hard or impossible or too wonderful for him. God was gracious to her. The grace of God overcame the impossibility because of her barrenness and his old age and their combined old age, like a number on the countdown. It was, they were so old, and yet God came by his omnipotent power and gave this aging couple a son, Isaac, whose very name means laughter. Notice that? It means laughter. The grace of God and the power of God came into her life, and she laughed now because it's the laughter, not of cynicism or fear or anxiety or despair, but of grace. God's grace coming into our hearts causes us to laugh. It fills us with joy. I mean, you have cynical laughter. Cynical laughter. This is an impossible situation. There's no way through this. You have nervous laughter. I'm really anxious about this situation. I just don't think there's anything that can happen for good, only ill. There's no way to get rid of that anxiety, but God's grace can change a cynical heart and an anxious spirit overnight. It's an impossible situation, but God, well, nothing is impossible for him. Nothing is too difficult for him. Her whole life has changed because God has come into her heart. It's the story of Sarah, the power of God and the promise of God coming into fruition in her barren womb in her old age. And it fills her heart with laughter. So how can God come to us if that's true for Sarah? The Bible says it's also true for us. I mean, where do we get this joy from? I mean, it costs you 50 quid to go as a family or thereabouts to hook to see the fireworks. It's 15 minutes and it's gone. That's before you pay for hot dogs and whatever else you can enjoy. Where's the source of wonder and the source of joy? We go for cinemas, we read it in a book, but then it passes. We go to a theatre, we go to the races, wherever we go as a source of joy. We've got Sarah here, she's 90 years old, she wants a child and there's no way she can do it. And we attempted to think, ah, Sarah just believed. She just believed really hard and it happened. If I just believed more, if I prayed more, if I gave more, if I was gooder more, or did more good, then God would bless me. But the whole point of this passage is God comes in spite of Sarah. Sarah has the almighty God right in front of her and she laughs in his face. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And yet God, by his grace, answers her greatest need. It's not about Sarah, but it's always about the one to whom Sarah points. There's this huge overtone from the story of Sarah and Abraham to another couple. In Luke chapter 1, Luke, it's almost deliberately by the Spirit of God, you could say, it's just a cut and paste. Is there anything too wonderful for God? Is there anything too hard that God could not do? There's another lady whose name is Mary, centuries later, who's longing for a child, I'm sure. But it's not just that her husband is old. I mean, that's hard enough. She doesn't even have a husband. And yet she says, oh, here's these words from an angel. You will bear a child. You will have a son. An angel comes to her, just like the Lord with angelic hosts comes to Sarah in Genesis 18 in Luke chapter 1. Almighty God sends an angel, a messenger to Mary, and says, you will have a son. You will have a child. 
and you will name him Jesus. And Mary says, how can it be? That's impossible. She almost says that's impossible. I mean, she'll be as sceptical without a husband as Sarah was with an old husband. And then the angel says, for nothing is impossible with God. It's almost as if the angel was saying to Mary, nothing is too wonderful for him. It's almost as if it's exact parallel passages, I think, because it is. Because Isaac points to the true Isaac, who's Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the ultimate Son of promise. Jesus, the ultimate one in whom we hear the laughter of God triumphing over not just old age, but over our greatest need, over sin and death. Our situation is far worse than Sarah's. That's the great story of the Bible. Let me paint you the picture. There's something greater being promised here. The ultimate Isaac, Jesus, comes in to deal with sin and death and our rebellion himself. I mean, it's all about laughter. Jesus enjoyed the smile of God and the laughter of God and the delight of God through all eternity. This wonderful Holy Communion, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, before the world was even made. The laughter, joy and delight of his Father and he exchanged it all to become a man of sorrows as he died on the cross for your sin and my sin, for my rebellion and your rebellion. He won for us a future that we've not earned and we don't deserve. He took our place, he took our decay upon himself, our condemnation, the justice of God that we deserve for our rebellion, he bore upon his own shoulders. Laughter for sorrow so that we might have life. That's the story that all the other stories point to. And three really quick things to close with. How do you know? How do you know if you are Sarah-like? How do you know if your cynical heart has been replaced by a heart that's full of wonder? How do you know if you're a Christian? Here are three signs that I think are true from this story. Look at Sarah's identity. Look at Sarah's identity. Chapter 21, verse 7. Right at the end of the story, we have this sentence, and she added, Sarah speaking, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah, me, would nurse children, and yet I have. And yet I have. Here we have this new status, barrenness has been replaced by fertility, a new identity, but there's a humility to it as well. Look at what she says. I, this grace of God that's come and given me a new song, a new joy, and a new smile upon my face. Who would have thought and yet I know it's not based on me. This is who I was, and yet this is, this is who I now am, by God's grace. It's a new reality, it's a new identity. Who in the world would have thought me, given my track record, would be a Christian? Because I was, but now I am, and the only difference is the grace of God. Yeah. Just as Sarah's identity has been changed, so that's true for every Christian. The first sign that you're a Christian is that you can laugh at yourself, you can wonder at yourself because of the grace of God. This new identity, here's the second one, she's reconciled to her past. I mean, think of Sarah's track record, it's not great. It's as bad as Abraham's. Think of what she did and how she carried on with Hagar in chapter 16. She bullied her verbally and almost, almost certain it was physical as well. She was a nasty piece of work. God turns up for the one time in her life when she sees him and she laughs in his face. It was bad for Sarah and it was bad when she dealt with Hagar. 
But look at chapter 21, verse 3. Her life is a failure, you could say. And yet, chapter 21, verse 3, she names her son Isaac. Laughter. God, by his grace, has dealt with me. And so now my past train wreck of a life has been dealt with. Every time I call Isaac to come in to play or to come in for food, I will remember the laughter that I experience of the grace of God. Every time I look upon his face, laughter, because God by his grace has wiped away my past. I'm no longer reminded of my failure, I'm reminded of his grace. That's what the gospel does to your past. If you're trying to work hard to get to God, if you're trying just to be a good mum or dad, a good person in society, it's all about you. And it's a great pressure that you're putting upon yourself to live up to your own standards. And you can never forget your past. There's always trouble and strife. There's always guilt and shame. And shame is a great motivator to work harder. And you work yourself into the ground. But here we have the grace of God, and despite of her deepest failures, call him laughter. Call your son laughter, so that every time you call him in for a meal, every time you call him in, you'll remember my grace. How much more wonderful is God's grace to us? And so that we can say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. Here's the last one. The gospel helps you to look at the world's standards and to laugh at them. Isn't it interesting, again, who God uses to bless the world? Abraham and Sarah are a disaster zone. And yet God lifts them up to say, these are the people through whom I will bless the world. Old man, worn out woman, rather than using a young, fertile Hagar. It's through the old, worn out woman, through Abraham and Sarah, this aging couple, that the son of promise comes. And God does that over and over again. He uses the small to shame the big, the weak to shame the strong. The things that the world thinks is nothing like human communication that they laugh at in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to shame the wise. That's how God always works because he's a God of grace. And when you realise that God works through impossible situations and through extraordinary means, you can laugh at impossible situations. You can trust God in the midst of it because God never fails. And you can also marvel at his grace to you. See, the Bible's serious about laughter. And laughter, laughter that never fails to make you smile, is God's grace to me and to you.